0: Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from justthenews.com, where we give you only the news, only facts, only truth, no spin, no opinion, no conjecture, no indoctrination, just information. You got it. You know how this goes. We've been doing this for a long time already. All right, guys, we've got a great show today. We've got an interview with someone that seldom does an interview, someone very important to our national security strategy in the United States. His name is Cash Patel, and he's the senior director for counterterrorism. He essentially runs President Trump's counterterrorism strategy and our efforts to get hostages back from hostile lands all across the country. You're going to love Cash. It's going to be a very newsy interview. In addition, uh, he also used to be a top aide to Devin Nunez and worked on the Russia collusion narrative. He actually helped unravel it, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about that as well. We're also going to have some breaking news about just the news. I'm going to tell you when we're going to launch. You're not going to want to miss that. And we're going to start a new feature each week, at least for the next few months. It's called nothing other than the Durham dossier. All right. I know you're tired of dossiers, But John Durham has got a big list of things he needs to resolve for the American people and and if we're going to get accountability in in the Russia collusion case. So I'm going to start with one of my early uh, reporting on what John Durham is working on and what it could lead to. You're not going to want to miss that. But first, we must go to a commercial break. We're going to pay the bills, and we'll be right back. Don't forget, we're going to be with Cash Patel in just a few minutes, and we're going to do the Durham dossier. And you don't want to miss the big announcement about just the news right after the commercial break.
1: Deborah's home was stolen. Now, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say... I was evicted from my own home and eighty-five grand in equity, gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need Home Title Lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to hometitlelock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HometitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HometitleLock.com. HometitleLock.com.
0: All right, welcome back from the commercial break. Uh, a lot of times people ask, uh, what can we do to support the type of reporting that we're doing at JustTheNews.com at John Solomon Reports Podcast? And the answer is, Well, you can sign up for our emails on justinnews.com. You can go to Twitter and Facebook and follow us and consume our content there. And most importantly, every time you hear a commercial and advertisement from one of our great sponsors, our backers support them. That's a great way to help us out, and I would be greatly appreciated. It helps us do the sort of reporting that you come to us for. All right, guys, so we're a few minutes away from interviewing Kash Patel, President Trump's counterterrorism chief on the National Security Council. Big interview, very exciting. It's rare for cash to do an interview. So we're going to get a lot of insights on everything on the Soleimani um, drone strike to hostages, to Russia collusion, to Iran. Uh, we won't be short at one minute. This is going to be a great interview. But first, I want to tell you about some breaking news. You've been asking, and now I can tell you. Justthenews.com, the website, will officially launch next week. Next Thursday is our planned date. That is February 20th, so put it on your calendar. We'll send everybody an email alert who has signed up on the site already and let them know when we're ready to launch. But that's the first breaking news you've gotten off the podcast today. The second one is the beginning of what I call the Durham dossier. Every podcast for the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about one issue that the special prosecutor, John Durham, working for Bill Barr, the attorney general, has to resolve as we try to bring accountability to the investigators who mishandled the Russia collusion case. So today, I want to talk about a very specific thing. Over the weekend, it was brought to light by Lindsey Graham that John Durham is not only looking at Russia collusion but at some of the specific stuff I reported on involving Ukraine and Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and the appearance of a conflict of interest because Hunter Biden was employed by a natural gas provider called Burisma while his dad oversaw U.S.-Ukraine policy. Listen to what Lindsey Graham, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, said over the weekend. I'm going to get to the bottom of the FISA work process because it was an abuse of power of the Department of Justice, the FBI.
2: And we're going to make sure that Hunter Biden's conflict of interest is explored because it's legitimate.
0: All right. So you heard where Lindsey Graham and the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to be going. There's going to be a lot of FISA abuse uh, witnesses and depositions and hearings. And then a little sprinkle of Ukraine, particularly on the Biden conflict of interest, Uh, question, and whether Joe Biden and Hunter Biden being together in Ukraine uh, created the appearance or actual conflict of interest that harmed U.S.-Ukraine relations. But uh, in the Durham investigation, I think there's one dynamic to keep an eye on in the next few weeks. We know from the IG report that there were 51 erroneous, inaccurate, misleading, or undocumented claims in the first FISA that there were 17 major issues with the FISA that went against Carter Page, uh, that two of those four FISA applications have now been withdrawn as illegal and proper, as um, Christopher Wray, the FBI director, said, and as Attorney General Barr has said. And, of course, the IG Horowitz has also made clear what he thought about those FISAs. Um, but the real question now is, were these bureaucratic blunders, or were, was there a larger conspiracy, a larger effort to deceive the court that involved multiple people in a conspiracy, multiple people trying to do things? And I want to focus your attention on one thing as you think about this over the next few weeks and as you watch John Durham's investigation, the special prosecutor, proceed. Uh, we now know that there, IG has identified an FBI lawyer who falsified a document, uh, hid the fact that Carter Page was working for the CIA. The CIA provided this information to the FBI. He falsified the documents so they wouldn't have to tell the court that the man they were accusing of being a Russian spy, Carter Page, was in fact a CIA asset helping our country spy and, and contain the threat from Russia. Now, we had Carter Page on here last week. It was a dramatic, great interview. He made a lot of news. But here's the question to watch for Durham. Will Durham be able to strike? A plea deal with that lawyer who, you know, was in the middle of this investigation, and does he have anything to roll up on people above him? Were there others involved, or did he act solely on his own when he doctored this document, falsified the document, misled the court, helped contribute to a a misleading and false FISA? Um, If John Durham reaches a plea deal, gets a criminal information in a plea deal without having to go to trial, then I think you can assume that that witness, that FBI lawyer, a guy by the name of Klein Smith, may have something to roll up on higher-ups above him, whether that's Pete Stroke or Andrew McCabe or James Comey, some of the former FBI officials that were in the middle of this. But that's a dynamic to watch. It's the same dynamic you see in mob cases, the same uh, deal you see in the Russia collusion case people make deals they testify against other people so the first thing to be watching for over the next few weeks as someone who has studied the Justice Department for 30 years is does Durham make a deal and does that signal that there may be a wider conspiracy a wider case to be made and that Smith may have evidence to offer about other players in the Justice Department those we know and maybe some we don't know Uh, That's an important dynamic, and it's something that we're going to be able to watch unfold over the next few weeks. Uh, Next time we get together, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about another area where Durham is spending a lot of time in Europe trying to find out what happened earlier in 2016. But that's for another day. We're going to go to a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Kash Patel. That's right, President Trump's Director of Counterterrorism on the National Security Council, a man right in the middle of the Soleimani al Baghdadi, uh, the recent Al Qaeda strikes that took out some of the world's worst terrorists. We're gonna be talking live to him in just a few seconds. Let's go to that break. Imagine this Valentine's Day story is you. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice he got those wrinkles and large under eye bags. You rummage through your bag thinking, Where's my secret weapon? And there it is. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in just minutes. It's the Valentine's gift you give yourself. Go to triplexiderm.com and enter voices, that's V-O-I-C-E-S, at triplexiderm.com for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter voices, V-O-I-C-E-S, at triplexiderm.com to get 50% off plus Plex- an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention the code VOICES, V-O-I-C-E-S. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so get to my special discount. Enter VOICES, V-O-I-C-E-S, at tryplexiderm.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are back from commercial break, and I am now lucky to be joined by none other than Cash Patel, President Trump's counterterrorism advisor, uh, director, actually, on the National Security Council. Cash has had a remarkable career. He's a former federal prosecutor, decorated, done a great job there. He worked on the House Intelligence Committee as its top expert on counterterrorism and was a driving force in exposing the wrongdoing of the Russia collusion delusion that we all suffered through the last three years. And most recently, he's joined the National Security Council now, where he oversees both terrorism strategy and helping get American hostages and prisoners back on safe ground here in America. Cash, welcome to John Solomon Reports.
2: Hey, John. Thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's quite an honor to uh, be, even be considered to... Uh, have a chat with you on uh, such a successful show you've done some of the best reporting uh for this administration some of the most accurate and you've been the most dogged you've taken a lot of heat and uh, we 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 can't thank you enough for uh for for, for letting us communicate our message to the american people
0: well, my mother said if the kitchen wasn't hot, she wasn't cooking. So I guess uh, we'll have to be happy with that, huh?
2: <laughs> So, I'll take well, it.
0: And you have too. I mean, uh, you you've uh, you have a couple lawsuits out there, and you've been maligned by a lot of people, only to be vindicated when the uh, the Russia IG report came out recently. So, congratulations on that. Thank you, thank you very much. You
2: know, we're here to we're here to keep fighting for the president, for Ambassador O'Brien on the national security front, and we're going to keep pounding and we're going to keep putting up some more wins.
0: Well, you've uh, you've already scored some amazing wins. We're going to get to some of those in a second, particularly on the counterterrorism front. Uh, but first, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, in your role as the counterterrorism director on the National Security Council, you also help bring Americans home who've been held hostage or held prisoner in hostile countries. And so we've had a tremendous record of success by my count. I think we've had about 24 hostages and prisoners come back since President Trump took office. They range from everybody from the CIA officer, Susan D'Souza, to Caitlin Cole and her family who were held in, uh, by the Taliban or by uh, the Mujah- Mujahideen in Afghanistan. We've seen releases in North Korea, Iran recently I want to ask you, what has President Trump done differently, and what have you done that have sort of changed these dynamics and allowed so many prisoners to come home so quickly?
2: Oh, that's a great question. And over here in the uh, in the CT director, the counterterrorism director, as we call it, I'm fortunate to uh lead a team of about 14 um, dedicated um, intelligence and military professionals uh, from across our government that cover down on everything, as you said, from Al-Qaeda to ISIS to hostage affairs to counter cartel and counter narcotics and beyond. And so um, the president and Ambassador O'Brien have made it a cornerstone of American uh, foreign policy to bring home Americans. It's it's really quite simple. And... (laughs) They've done it with more than just uh, verbiage, and the President has been um, immensely successful in leading this charge to as you said, return approximately two dozen probably few more than that you know hostages and detainees that were being held wrongfully or taken from their families overseas and <clears throat> I think the success is largely due to President Trump's consistent uh, promise and delivering on the promise for the American people that he both campaigned on, that he's done since he's been president, and he and he just continues to deliver, and he and he inspires those that work for him to deliver for him, and uh, and that's how we do it. We know that you know bringing Americans back to their loved ones um, is one of the highest priorities that we have here, and I think that's what we do every day. We come here and we take time and we focus and we say, how are we going to bring the next person home? And until we do, um, we don't stop.
0: Now, we've done some prisoner swaps. A big change from the Trump administration, uh, from the Obama administration. We know the Obama administration paid a lot of money to people in certain circumstances. Talk about President Trump's position on paying for hostages and how the clarity of message to those who hold prisoners is uh, helps resolve these sort of negotiations.
2: Well, that's, that's a great point, John. As, as, as you know, President Trump has made clear um, that we are not paying for ransom for, for hostages. And that message is only powerful if it is backed by action, which the president has consistently delivered on. It used to be that Al-Qaeda and ISIS would capture um, American our hostages around the world and ransom them, and most countries would pay them. What I think these captors, including the Haqqanis, have learned is that if you take an American, you're not getting one penny from the United States government. So it is, it is one, an immense deterrent at taking Americans overseas. So that number has, has dramatically decreased, which is, which is great for us under the president. And two, <coughs> excuse me. And two, I think that these, um, you know, these terrorist organizations and these criminal enterprises have learned that there's no point in taking American hostages anymore uh, because you're not gonna get anything for them in return except a giant target on your entire organization. And then you'll have the full weight and force of the United States government driving at you.
0: Well, that's a great point. And, um... When I was uh, the last time I was with the president, he he said something. He said, cash doesn't get to sleep until all of our people come home. And so there <laughs> are still some. <laughs> and I think he really meant it. So I guess you must be pretty tired. But uh, he um, we still have some hostages overseas. And I want to ask you about a couple of them that come up a lot in news reports. Ah, uh, the first are the Nasma, the, the Namazi's, the father and son team in Iran. Can you tell me they're both Iranian Americans? And I, w- I wonder if you know has there any, been any developments, any optimism there uh, about possibly getting them released from Iran?
2: You know, one of the one of the things that uh, we um, take uh, immense pride in is, is is reaching out to the loved ones of the folks like Namazi and and others that are held overseas and try to engage with them on a regular basis. And the president and the ambassador have taken immense time um, um, to make that a priority. So I've had the privilege of meeting so many of these great people and their families, and it really drives it home when you can see the impact of a lost loved one who's overseas. And and the, con- the constant message from a lot of these families has been the prior administration turned their backs on them. And this one has not. And they've, they, you know, I'm not going to get into names, but they've told me in private settings that has been a consistent theme. So we are, we are driven by that optimism, and we are continuing to fight for all of those that are held overseas. Now, on as to ongoing matters, you know, you know, I'll leave that, of course, to the president and the ambassador to get into. But uh, I think they know, and the American people should know, we're not stopping. As as you said, we, we're not going to go to sleep until we get them all.
0: Well, there's one family that hasn't slept well for a long time, going all the way back to 2007, and that's the family of former FBI agent Bob Levinson, the longest-held known American captive. What do we know about him? And, and during the recent negotiations, where you were able to bring a few people home from Iran, that was a big win. Did we learn anything at all yet about Mr.
2: Levinson's plight? And you're absolutely right. You know, Bob was a great, Amer- is a great American. Served um, his country in the FBI and um on other matters and was taken and has been away from his family for for far too long and we are you know bob is always at the forefront of matters dealing with the iranians it's uh it's never something that we shy away from and we have you know we are always learning new avenues and new ways to approach the iranians as the president has said you know he will um gladly um, sit down and chat but they don't seem to want to do that but that doesn't mean we're going to stop our efforts for for bob's return and all the others and we uh you know his family is just a tremendous group of americans that i've i've gotten to know and we every time we get anything that could even possibly be a lead you know it's nice to know that we can go right to ambassador ryan who can go right to the president and and say how are we going to handle this so I think that speaks to one of your earlier questions as to what's the difference. And I think that's the difference. Just that amount of attention from such such great leadership makes a difference. And we hope it makes a difference in Bob's case very soon.
0: Now, last week, switching to counterterrorism for a second, um, big strike, big win. The leader of Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula in Yemen, Qasim Arimi. Uh, killed by the U.S. forces, big, big win. Talk a little bit about how that changes the dynamic of terrorism, how it changes the dynamic in Yemen, and what it does uh, for the for the situation in Yemen where civil war has
2: raged for a long time. Thanks for bringing that up, John. I mean, that is a big part of what we do here under the president and Ambassador O'Brien. And it speaks to, again, a consistent theme of promises kept. The president has said, we are going to go after and defeat and destroy al-Qaeda and ISIS. Um, Qasem al-Rimi was the emir, as you stated, of al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, one of the most powerful al-Qaeda branches outside of, the, uh, of their home place. He's also was one of the most senior al-Qaeda officials um, and Zawahiri associates. And Zawahiri is, of course, the, the leader of al-Qaeda and has been so right. since um, bin Laden was killed. So. To implement a win and take out someone such as that has a reverberating effects throughout the al-Qaeda community, which is what we want. And um, every time we take one of these um, actions, um, the, the world is safer. And there is more of a possibility for peace in countries like Yemen, which is one of the most difficult places to establish the reestablishment of a government in Sana'a. And a peace process. We're working with our partners there. Um, taking out individuals like al-Rimi is a huge step. There's more to do, and we're going to continue doing it, as the president said. You know, we're going to still go after al-Qaeda wherever they are. And Yemen is just another example that, you know, most people probably can't find it on a map, but this administration has not forgotten about it.
0: You mentioned al-Zawari. Uh, he was bin Laden's deputy for a long time, Egyptian physician, uh, and sort of many believe the mastermind of a lot of the operational things al-Qaeda did, even when bin Laden was alive. Do we have any progress on trying to track him down? What do we know about Ayman al-Zawari uh, tw- almost 20 years now after the 9-11 attacks?
2: Well, it's, it's as you said, uh, John, you know, uh, Zawahiri is the leader and has been the leader of, of al-Qaeda for a long time. Um, just because uh, the the folks out um, in um, other parts of the media haven't, not you, but others haven't, uh, you know, heard of him or brought him up doesn't mean we haven't been um, we haven't been looking for him. Um, I will say there are, you know, I can't get into any of the details, but we're always looking for, as the president has said, you know, the leadership of Al Qaeda. And that's not stopping. We have ongoing efforts uh, across many different fronts and uh you know we will continue to work for president trump to deliver these types of defeats uh, against global terrorism and he is there. He's on the list, if not on the top of the list, and he is a big target for us.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of people do in the counterterrorism world really would like to get him because he's been such an important player in in perpetrating so many attacks. Um, Speaking of a person that perpetrated a lot of attacks, who's no longer with us, Soleimani, Iran's top general and, and its largest perpetrator of terrorism and uh, responsible for thousands of deaths. You managed uh, your team, and, and the military and president managed to take him out a couple of months ago. And there's been a mixed reaction, a lot of praise, but then also this unusual uh, criticism from Democrats who used to be against Soleimani until the president killed him, and then they suddenly seemed to be for him or sympathetic to him. Um There was an interesting quote that hasn't gotten any attention recently, and it's from the former Marine—actually, or never a former Marine, he's always a Marine—but the Marine who was formerly held in Iran, uh, Emir Hekmati, someone that the president helped free from Iran. And he said—he praised the strike, and he said what concerned him most about it was the fact that the Democrats did not show political unity, and that that, that—I'm going to read an exact quote from him. The lack of political unity in America on this issue is endangering lives. Can you talk about that? Here's a guy that was in the possession of Iran, held captive, a hostage. He sees Soleimani killed. He's proud of it. And he chastises those who wouldn't support it. What sort of frustration or dynamic has it created that the Democrats haven't rallied around such an important terrorist strike?
2: Well, I think that brave Marine said it best, John. I mean, you you saw this replay. With the Qasem Soleimani strike, um, as it did with the uh, when we took out Al Baghdadi, right. um, the Democrats even in that moment couldn't help in some of their um, media outlets heap praise and uh, lavish titles upon this monster, this killer, this rapist, this terrorist. And Soleimani was no no different, and um, it's not worse. And so, the president has consistently said that these 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 types of situations should bring all Americans together, and um we can't control what the Democrats are going to say, but we totally and fully uh, embrace what that brave marine said and that if they don't come together on this, then we're not sure what they're going to be able to come together on because President Trump has just eliminated two of the world's most unfortunately <laughs> successful terrorists of all time, and if that doesn't safeguard our interests, I'm not sure. What will, but we should all be able to just put everything aside for even a moment and say that was in in the interest of the homeland. And again, President Trump delivered. Yeah,
0: that definitely was a big moment, as was uh, the killing of al Baghdadi a few months back. And I'm curious if you can give us a quick update on uh, where we are in the battle against ISIS, particularly in Iraq and Syria. There's been a lot of activity, a lot of battling going on in some of the regions where ISIS used to be very strong. Uh, can you give us an assessment of our war on ISIS and and where we where we still need to go to finish the job?
2: Absolutely, um, uh, you know ISIS came on, you know after the the, the decimation of Al Qaeda in Iraq under the previous administration, and um, they were allowed to flourish. And President Obama has. Uh, excuse me, President Trump, has come on to say we are going to take out ISIS. He has implemented his de-ISIS campaign that's led both by the State Department and diplomatic channels and the military with ongoing campaigns in the region and our de-ISIS task force. And so even though we've taken out Baghdadi, which is a great strike, we unfortunately see ISIS popping up you know, in different pockets of the world, which is something we're closely monitoring and also – um, if they should levy an attack on American interests, that will be uh, not well received uh, by the president and the ambassador, and I think we will answer with full vigor. But we are chasing them down, um, and they know it. It's not a secret, and that's why so many of them um, are in hiding. And if they're in hiding, we're going to find them, and we're going to take them out and we are not going to stop on that front either this task force has a lot of work left to do they've had a tremendous amount of success in Iraq and Syria as you've pointed out with the wins that we've had but we've 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 some ways to go And and we're going to get there, um, you know, with with the president and five more years of his leadership.
0: Now, um, a big moment occurred about a few weeks ago when the president announced his uh, peace plan for the Middle East. A a large number of Arab states stood behind him in support of this. The Palestinians, unfortunately, didn't engage yet. But um, I wanted to ask uh, one of the side dynamics that have been going on in the Middle East that the media hasn't paid much attention to are all of these sort of regional side deals, the Arabs and the Israelis and Arab countries that used to be at uh, fussing with each other, making side deals to try to make their relationships better. Describe how important that is to the long-term stability of the region and how President Trump has approached side deals and regional deals a little bit differently than prior administrations.
2: I can only touch upon that. You know, the the peace plan is something that uh, Jared, the president, the ambassador worked on tirelessly, and uh, another delivery for the American people. So they're the they're the masters behind that, and the and the, and the bright brains behind that operation. Um, we see the reflections, as you said, you know, when we deal with the governments of the Middle East, because one of the biggest things we have to deal with with them is the counterterrorism matters. So those initiatives help, they help on a parallel track for us to achieve success, um, not just in the CT space, but to say we need, you know, regional stability, we need regional security and eventually global stability and global security. And so this ideals, you know, as you say themselves, there are little wins that, you know, people, um, you know, don't necessarily hear about, but when we are in meetings with our foreign counterparts, be it here or be it overseas, those have tremendous effects for us to be able to implement, um, counterterrorism measures more effectively across the Middle East. And we, we, uh, we really appreciate the work of the community to, to l- allow us to have that space to, succeed. And so it does have very good impact for us um, downrange.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I've heard that a lot from from uh, Arab partners in the States when I've interviewed them recently, that the room that the Trump administration has given them to make some of their own deals without, you know, a big heavy hand has created a sort of sense of camaraderie that wasn't there uh, among Gulf States and Arab States a few years ago. So it's interesting to hear that from them directly. Um, uh, recently, down in Florida, we had an unfortunate attack on a military base, a Saudi national open fire. Uh, yeah. there, there were some real heroes there that stopped it from being a much worse attack. But tell me a little bit, have we learned anything about that? And, and have we been able to make some security adjustments to prevent that sort of attack from occurring in the future in a training program?
2: Well, I, th- I think we've, you know, it's a tra another tragedy that we've we've had to learn a significant amount from. We've uh, engaged the Saudis, and that initiative is, you know, the investigation obviously being led by the Department of Justice. So I won't I won't comment on that on those ongoing. But um, I think that it's been public that uh, we we've taken a, a, a an examination of our partnership program, and the Saudis have been forward leaning and saying we're going to have to redo the whole thing and pulling pulling some of their um, folks from here back home, which I think was the right move uh, to to bring everyone's um, tensions down. And we uh, have a great relationship with the Saudis in many, many areas, and we want those to continue, but we have to figure out why this happened and that it can never happen again. Um, something like this is just truly unacceptable on American soil, and the president has repeatedly uh, provided us with the uh, the backing and the support to engage with our partners at you know at our much lower levels to to resolve the matter. And, and <clears throat> we've been working that. And it, with our, with our Saudi counterparts, it's, it's something that comes up often in the, in the CT space.
0: Um, I know you got only a few more minutes left because you got a lot of work on your plate, but I wanted to ask you about something. Before <laughs> you came to this very important job at the national security council, you worked on the house intelligence committee and uh, you were instrumental in, in bringing to light a lot of, as was Devin Nunez and, and the key members there. But um, a a lot of the FISA abuses and a lot of the concerns about the misconduct that occurred in our law enforcement and Justice Department agencies. And uh, after that, when you wrote, when you and Devin Nunez released that report, there was a lot of criticism, a lot of name calling, a lot of predictions that you would be embarrassed (laughs) when this is all over. So when the IG came out and basically confirmed everything in your in your report, I wonder, you know, what did you think at that moment? Did, Did that feel like a moment of vindication?
2: You know I, I more than anything, you know it's always when we were in that fight uh devin and i and the and the and the brave men and women of the House intelligence committee on the g o p side you know we we labored uh relentlessly to, to to pull the facts out of all all the vestiges of government um that most people don't even know exist, so we could right. provide oversight, true oversight, which is to let the American people know what happened and I think we knew we were going to take some some face punches along the way. I don't think in the beginning any of us quite envisioned it would be to that degree. So when you fast forward two and a half years, we you know we're we're not personally glad of the vindication. We're personally happy for the American people to be able to read for themselves the IG report from Horowitz and other documents that have been released since. So they can see the constitutional oversight was performed by um Chairman Nunez and his team, and that's what they signed up to do, and that's what they delivered on. So we're just happy that the American people got to see it and read it for themselves finally. And that was that more than anything else was what we had always hoped for.
0: Yeah, it's an important thing, and a lot of times people assume oversight today is really about politics, but in many ways it's just about making sure that the best parts of America stay that way. And, and uh, the last couple of years it's been hard to do oversight with the political overlay um, there's been a lot of oversight going on recently. The IG report, very important findings, and we have the John Durham investigation. A little earlier in my podcast, I talked about some of the things that Durham is looking at. As you look back, as you from the work you did and the report you did to set in motion accountability and fixes, what sort of things do you hope the Attorney General, John Durham, and the Congress can accomplish to make sure that we never have a repeat like the Russia collusion Uh, mess that we had the last two and a half years.
2: Well, I think you're seeing it, John. I think you're seeing, I'm not going to get ahead of uh, A.G. Barr and John Durham because I think they're doing just a fantastic job for the American people. But as you notice, I think A.G. Barr just announced last week that any politically motivated investigations or investigations into political campaigns would have to be cleared through multiple levels of the Department of Justice that previously didn't exist. So that is a great um, example of how we would prevent this from ever happening again as far as the major reformation of both the FISA court and the FISA process, you're right. That's going to have to be, you know, a legislative uh, led fix. And many of the members that worked, if not all of them that worked on, on our team, um, have addressed that. I know Chris Stewart has a bill, uh, a bipartisan bill to address the FISA court, which I think addresses a lot of the issues there, including having a budsman there and being just a simple thing as having a transcript, um, and certain other protective measures that uh we would hope that's that's the that's the circle of oversight coming to uh coming to a full close you investigate the matter you find the problems you hopefully hold people accountable and then at the end you say okay how do we fix this and i think we're there and i think uh you know chairman Nunes and his folks are going to continue to put forth solutions to that problems but it's it's going to have to be <clears throat> a legislative fix and I think over here, we know we have a strong supporter in President Trump to uh, to make that happen.
0: Well, it's um, there's definitely a lot of dynamics that are going to play out with the deadline on FISA renewal coming up. Uh, we still need yeah. FISA as an important terrorism tool to do your job, right? It's still an important tool for everyone.
2: Thanks for bringing that up. Don't get me wrong. As a former federal prosecutor and terrorism prosecutor, we have to have it. It's critical. Um, yeah. But we have to have reform at the same time. And, and there has to be a balance. I, I, I totally agree with you.
0: And do you think uh, the Democrats are on board and trying to fix these things? Do you think we can get to a bipartisan place?
2: You know, I'm, I'm encouraged with folks uh, that are still on the House Intelligence Committee saying that they are going to continue to push for those changes, and they're going to, you know, they're going to work with the Democrats on doing that. Whether they, whether the Democrats come aboard, I don't, you know, I don't know. That's just speculation, and who knows where they'll land there. But I hope they, I hope they do. Uh, come over and uh say yeah we
0: need these reforms that's awesome it's going to be a very important time they'll be keeping an eye on them we'll be watching it at just the news last question you have a lot of things that um are on your plate every day al-qaeda isis um uh all the yemen uh, and the hostages when you lay awake at night and you have trouble sleeping what what most concerns <laughs> you is it is it al-qaeda is it isis is it homegrown terrorism when you look at the threat matrix, what where do you assess some of the higher threats facing America as we go forward?
2: You know, unfortunately, the threat can come from anywhere. So I think it's just more generally what uh, what I try to avoid is or or what we try to avoid with the president is failing the American people um, when it comes to protecting the homeland and bringing loved ones home and safeguarding our border. So those those are the things that we want to be able to say. At the end of the term, we did it. We did everything we could and we achieved um, safety and security for the American people. So failing is what keeps me, uh, keeps me up at night, unfortunately. And, (laughs) and we try to have as little failure as we can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's not a, failure is not an option when it's, I know it's a cliche, but in terrorism, you never want that one fail. So that's, that's an important part. Well, for those who know you Cash. We know America is safer because you're in this job and working with the team that you are. We're so uh, thank you for the time you spent today and uh, for helping educate our listeners to, to what's on your plate and what's on the future of America. So good luck to you. Well, I'm hopefully to have you back on sometime soon.
2: Thanks, John. I really appreciate this. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, allow me a few minutes of your, uh, of your wonderful uh, uh, production here, and I, I hope to be back soon.
0: All right. Sounds great. Have a good rest of the day.
2: You too. Bye, John.
0: All right, folks, that wraps another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Uh, Before you go and listen to me again next week, do me a favor. Go listen to David Brody and Cheryl Atkinson, two of my amazing colleagues at Just the News. They have two of the best podcasts I've ever heard. I'm addicted to them. I have them on in my car, and I go to sleep with them at night on on my iPhones, my iPad. Uh, It is definitely worth listening to. It's two remarkable podcasts, two great journalists, doing what we talked about, just giving you the facts and nothing else. Until next week, have a great weekend, and we'll be back with John Solomon Reports on Tuesday. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite.
3: Five six thousand. That's one eight hundred two four five six thousand. Or visit taxnetworkusa.com/slash Victor. Taxnetworkusa.com/slash Victor.